Well, we continue today in our sermon series, Crosswalk, as we journey closer and closer to the cross. And our main text for focus this day is one of my favorites uh, in all of the scriptures. There are certain texts that uh, hit closer to home, and, and I love this, this promise from the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Hear these words of the prophet. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's just pause and begin with a prayer. Loving God, in whose service there is both risk and honor, we want to see Jesus, not to prove a theory, but to experience a presence, not to observe from a distance, but to become involved, not just to listen, but to follow and serve. Lead us beyond a quest for personal security to a passion for the lifting up of all human life to the promises of eternity. In Christ's name we offer this. Amen. One of the things that jumps out of that passage from Jeremiah is when Jesus says, I was their husband. The prophet says, I was their husband. The words of God, this spouse language. When we think of spouse, we think of covenant. Oftentimes when I'm giving a, a homily or a little talk at a wedding, I, I mention this. I, I, I explain that we enter into covenants. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is not a contract. No, we enter into covenants. We agree to contracts. Covenants are eternal. Contracts time out. Maybe you've seen some examples of a contractual relationship versus a covenant relationship. There is a couple that I know of that every year on their anniversary, they sit down at dinner and they look across the table and they say, what do you think, one more year? Every year, they enter into a one-year contract. And it may not surprise anyone that they are no longer husband and wife. A wedding and a marriage are not the same thing. A wedding is maybe 30 minutes long, but a marriage, if the two people are blessed, can last for 30 years or more. When I was at my previous church, I used to take two or three times a year, two-day reading retreats. And oftentimes, I would go down to Chicago, and I would sit in a sanctuary that was open for everyone to to come in and sit at. And one of those churches that I used to frequent was a church called the Fourth Presbyterian Church, right there on on the Magnificent Mile on on Michigan Avenue. 
and they always had all of their sermons, the, the manuscripts written out, and, and I from time to time would take one, and, and I saw that there was a manuscript there on this text from Jeremiah, and so I took it, and I, I kept my eye on it, and it had some things that I really want to kind of explore with us very quickly this morning. You see, in our scripture reading from the prophet Jeremiah, we hear a promise of change. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, all of God's people. Now, these words were spoken to a people who were in exile, a people who had seen their homeland destroyed and conquered by a foreign empire, the same empire in which now they were forced to live with their sacred temple and their holy city absolutely devastated. They mourned. They mourned in exile, and they wondered if God had abandoned them. And I know sometimes we look up to heaven and say, God, where are you? Have you abandoned me? They wondered if they could sing to God in this strange land. They wondered if God would even listen if they raised up their voices. And it was to these fears that God speaks words of hope through prophets like Jeremiah. God promised them that it would not always be this way, that this time of trial, and parenthetically I would say, and according to their beliefs, a time of punishment, that this time would end, that there would be a new season, that God would restore the exiles to their homes. God would help them rebuild their sacred temple and city, and we know that they did. That God would rebuild their, their society and restore their fortunes. That God would save them from despair and humiliation. But God doesn't stop there. God promises even more. The very nature of their relationship with God was going to change. And so, friends, I, I warn that we must read this carefully to note that the law itself wasn't going to change. Indeed, the law was for them the most sacred manifestation of God's will and way. But instead, what would change was the covenant relationship between God and people. No longer would they need to teach each other sacred rays revealed in the law. Instead, this divine law would be written on their hearts. Written on their hearts. And our God is a God who sees us from the inside out. So yes, God sees our heart. King David, kind of the pinnacle king in all of Israel's history, had some difficult times and he realized that if God was going to have a place in his heart, he needed a new heart, a clean heart. And so he writes in this great confession, crying out to God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Beautiful words. The divine law would be written on their hearts. It would ultimately become an intrinsic part of their very being. For the first time ever, they lived out in their lives the law of God. They would truly become God's people. And how is that possible? What will usher in this brand new covenant? Well, with our gospel eyes, we know it's the work of Jesus 
And the Gospel of John speaks to this in Jesus' own words. We kind of heard Wisconsin Jones tease that a little bit for us earlier. Jesus speaks to them and says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. And Jesus continues, Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. In our Wednesday night small group, our our lectionary study, where we really wrestle with the texts that are going to be explored the upcoming Sunday, that verse, those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life, that was a tough one for the members of that small group to swallow. What, what is really being said there by Jesus? I mean, we're not used to Jesus saying the word hate at all. Let me try and put it as simply as I can. Those who love their life, I mean, I love my life, I got a great life, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about the difference between a self-centered life versus a life lived beyond the self, a life lived beyond selfishness. A life of love is what he's speaking of. And just imagine the kind of world it would be If the gospel was written on everyone's heart, imagine the kind of world it would be if God's law was truly written on people's hearts. Imagine what it would be like if everyone truly lived the way of life spelled out in God's law. People would love each other as much as they love themselves. People would care for each other. Poverty and hunger and homelessness would be no more. Everyone would share God's good resources Everyone would have enough. War would be no more. Hate would be no more. The world would be filled with peace. As I read at the beginning of this service, the words from Bishop Young when he said, I am called back to a desire to be a peacemaker, working with people of all ethnicities and cultures and races to create a society founded upon principles of justice and mercy and equity. I believe that the people called the United Methodists should be actively engaged champions of inclusion and justice for all. We should be for the love of Christ by standing against racism and oppression and marginalization and condemnation and violence. Oh, if the law was only written upon our hearts. But you know, unless I've missed something, as I go back over the studies of history, There's never been a time where this has been realized. No, not in ancient Israel or right here in America in 2021. I'm not sure what the ancient Jews who first heard those words expected. 
Did they believe what God was saying through Jeremiah? I'm not sure what they felt when, when, they, when, they, when things didn't change right away. Did that, did that make them believe those were to be empty words? I'm not sure what happened when reality settled in. I wonder if they felt disappointed or if they felt let down by their God. I wonder if they were frustrated or I wonder if they simply kept waiting with faith for the change that God promised through Jeremiah. Centuries later, after some of the descendants of these Jews experienced the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they began to read these words of Jeremiah and this new covenant in a different way. They believed, they began to believe that what they had just experienced in Jesus was, in fact, the fulfillment of Prophet Jeremiah's words. They believed that the new and progressive way of Jesus was, in fact, the absolute new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of. In fact, once, once they produced sacred writings of their own and collected them together, they called them the New Testament. And the New Testament literally means the new covenant. Those first Christians believed the good news that Jesus preached and lived in a new covenant and this belief was shaped by the church throughout history. But our world is still very much in exile. Our world is still filled with hatred and violence and needless suffering. We still collectively don't act as if God's law is written on our hearts. Even the church itself has not lived up to this promise. Time and time again, we have failed I have failed. You know, if I'm going to be completely honest, I'm not sure I can say that I've lived an entire day of my life that was completely guided by God's law written on my heart. I strive for it. I press on towards that perfection. But I stumble and fall. Tragically human but friends, if we believe that Jesus' life and death and resurrection was the ultimate plan to fix all that is wrong with humanity, something must be missing. Because after more than 2,000 years later, we're not there yet. And if we spend our time sitting around and waiting for Jesus to return and fix it all for us, then men, friends, we are missing the point. This is why this season of Lent, in my mind, is so important. Lent is not just a time to prepare the celebration for the celebration of Easter, though the celebration of Easter is where many of us in church tend to focus. Let me tell you what I believe Lent really is. Lent is a time to prepare to follow Jesus beyond Easter. I don't believe that the joy and hope of Easter is enough. We must be inspired by this joy and hope to take the next step and to live out the good news of Jesus in our own lives. We must let that joy and hope fill our hearts and compel us to live lives of love for God and love for each other. If all we do is celebrate Easter, eat some jelly beans, we're not doing enough. On the first Easter, that first Easter Sunday, something in the world changed. And on this coming Easter Sunday, something will change once again. But that change will never be complete. 
unless we move beyond the empty tomb and go out into the world that needs to be changed as well. Just as a single person sitting in an Oval Office in Washington can't bring complete change to an entire nation, it will take each one of us opening our hearts to the law of God to change the world we live in. In the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, God has made a change, and God is calling us to help make that change complete. Change has come, but change is still coming And so the scripture tells us, the days are surely coming, says our God. The day is here to affirm a new covenant. And so, dear friends, will you call on God's steadfast love and mercy? Are you seeking a strong and vital relationship with our God? God's law is written on our hearts. Our creator claims us and forgives our faithlessness. So, dear friends, are you eager to know the God who loves us all? Are you ready to learn God's intention for all of us? God offers us the joy of salvation. Our brokenness can be healed and wholeness restored. And so, dear friends, are you open to the new and right spirit God offers? Do you seek guidance for your daily living? Friends, as our crosswalk gets us closer to the cross of Jesus, may it be so. May it be so, which is the definition of, amen.